Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. In 2017, the military gathered a small group of scientists to try and bring the Quantum Leap time travel program back online. Five years later, believing it was the only way to save his fiancée's life, Dr. Ben Song risked everything when he entered the accelerator to travel back in time. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. Ben believed he would only need to complete 18 leaps before he could return to the place and people he calls home. But something went wrong. And for reasons unknown, Ben did not leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 157, The Outsider. Hello? They know. They do? Of course they do. You talked to a suited Kaplan, didn't you? I told you to keep your mouth shut. Sorry, I... I, I... It's too late to be sorry. Okay, people are going to die now. Who? Who's going to die? I'm out. Their blood is on your hands. Wait. We're going to be late. God, where do I find you people? The press. You're a reporter. You're not drunk, are you? Because I had to fire my last producer for drinking on the job. No, no. Uh, I'm still trying to connect the dots here. I think I just got off the phone with the source. It sounded... Important, they said people are going to die. Look, kid, everybody's got a tip and they all want me to report on it because they think I'm Connie Davis. So you're not Connie Davis? You know what I mean. I'm not who I was in New York. Did Hannah get my letter? She did. Uh, They were able to catch Josh's heart disease in time. Oh, thank God. Ben, I'm sorry. Josh died in a car accident a year later. He died anyway? Can we please focus on the leap? Connie Davis. Okay, at the height of her career, she was a trailblazing journalist in New York City. I mean, she was a legend. Think Barbara Walters. Until she was fired. Why? I don't know. I mean, I guess it had something to do with the source, but whatever happened, it basically ended her career. Okay, so all I have to do is get Connie's career back on track. Shouldn't be too hard. You'll have to excuse me, Mr. Rich, but I'm playing catch up here. Your employee, Ian Wright here, stole my quantum chip. Magic. Magic. I'm really Go home. Connie. Brian, did you sleep here? I need to talk to you about the story. I did the work. Now I need your help to save the lives of a lot of people. Well, how many people are we talking here? Thousands. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher D. Philippus. And I'm Allison Pregler. And today we are going back to, it feels like like an old-timey Quantum Leap episode, Season 2, Episode 11, The Outsider, directed by Deborah Pratt. Hey! Yeah, nice to have Deborah back in a substantial way. This is her second episode that she's directed, so it's cool to see that she's still such an integral part of the Quantum Leap family. Absolutely. Yeah, so we have been going back and forth with Deborah, and uh, we are going to be doing a short interview and another director's commentary with Deborah. She's traveling somewhere, isn't she? She's recording it in Uganda or something. Is that what <laughs> what Albie was saying? She's in Africa. She's in Africa. That's crazy. She's uh, well. She's dedicated. Yeah, busy, busy. 
Yeah, she is like super busy. So this is how it went down. Albie and Brian Green were able to speak to her. You know Brian Green. He has been on the after show with Albie a million times. And he is also the creator of the Al's Place Quantum Leap fan site. Everybody should go to alsplace.com. Um, Brian and Albie spoke to Deborah while she was like literally on safari. She was on a mountaintop and they're like discussing this episode while she's in the back of some kind of Humvee or something. But the commentary that they were going to record, they decided to wait on that till maybe she's back in the States or at least, you know, somewhere indoors. But like Africa, how cool. Yeah, I'm sure it's a, a meaningful trip for her. And uh, yeah, I, I'm grateful that she's taking the time to do this uh, interview and commentary with us because she's super busy. Yeah, she's super busy. But um, I think it's only fitting because uh, as you all have probably seen at this point, if you've seen the episode, this is the episode that they dedicated to the memory of Matt. So I know that Deborah was Matt's biggest fan. And the fact that he gets his dedication on one of her episodes is just perfect. It's perfection. He would have loved it. He he would just be over the moon that it was, you know, Deborah's episode and that it happened at all. But I mean, I know it would mean so much to him. And, uh, and I am so grateful that they fought to have this on there because, you know, you have to get the network's approval. There's all sorts of things that go into like putting a dedication like that in and it doesn't always happen for a fan. And so the fact that they put that in there like it it just means a lot to us and i know it would mean a lot to him oh i'm sure it would and uh my only regret is that he can't see it yeah he he's part of quantum leap history forever he's there forever yeah and i i think it's 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 phenomenal and And the fact they put to our friend you know (sighs) our friend matt our friend matt yeah and I, I think it also speaks to the esteem in which the cast and crew held Matt and uh, the yeah. production team and, and everybody involved with the show. We just want to thank you for all of your support again in this time. I know I sound like a broken record, but it can't be stated enough that the outpouring and just the way you've embraced us and and rallied when all this terrible stuff happened, it means the world to us as well. So thank you so much. For making this happen for us and for our friend and the memory of our friend. I was really moved when I saw the dedication plaque come up at the end of the episode and um, I was feeling very emotional and I just reached out to Dean and to Deborah and to Drew and to and to Martin and thanking them personally. Um, and uh, I got a, a message back from Drew Lindo. And uh, if you guys aren't familiar, if you don't remember, he is uh, one of the producers of the show and one of the writers of the show. And um, he wrote back to me, I'm glad we could make it happen. Matt was a special person. I wrote the finale as a love letter to fans like Matt. But after he passed, the story took on some added resonance. It's going to hit hard, but I hope it leaves everyone with a bit of hope and healing. (sighs) Drew, I wrote back and I think I believe this. We are in the best hands. I know that Drew is a fan like Matt and I know how much uh, esteem and I know the esteem in which he held Matt. So I, I, I thank you again. Uh, it, it's surreal, isn't it? Just like, I. It, it is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and the fact that it's making you speechless <laughs> speaks to how surreal it is. Because I never shut up. 
so, yeah. Anyway. No, I, anyway. I really appreciate them sending those messages and, and all of the love and support. And uh, it's just a, a great cast and crew that they have on this show. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you all. So um, speaking of hope and healing, I mean, I think that those were some of the themes in The Outsider. That's why I said it felt sort of like a classic Quantum Leap episode. Maybe it was the time frame, too. Maybe it was like an 80s, that 80s feel. So um, why don't we just go into some initial impressions? Allison, what were your thoughts on The Outsider? Yeah, I felt exactly like you did. It, it felt like a classic Quantum Leap to me. And I felt like all of it gelled really well. Like everything moved and at a good pace. It didn't feel like they were rushing too much through things or dwelling too much on other things. All of the themes came together and uh, even the stuff at the project, like I felt like it was moving along in an interesting way. Yeah, it was cool because when I first watched it, I said, oh, I'm not, I, I didn't know how I felt about it. Number one, you know me in journalism episodes. I mean, oh, you were ju- I knew you were focusing on all the journalism stuff. <laughs> I was. There are some goofs and we'll get into them, but uh, they're not they're not big goofs. But I have to say I was I was just taking it all in on my first watch and I didn't know how I felt about the episode when it ended. And then I saw Matt's dedication and all those thoughts went right out the window anyway. So I was happy to be able to rewatch it and and form like a a genuine opinion on it. And on the second viewing, I realized how well the entire thing holds together on just about every level, like you were saying, and how it made me feel like I was watching an episode of the classic series. It really is akin to something we would have seen back with Sam and Al. And it has a hopeful message that resonates with Ben and Addison. So once again, we, I, I feel like we're, we're bridging the two series in a very effective way. And I guess Deborah has a lot to do with that because she knows the old stuff. She knows the new stuff. So who better to synthesize the things together? Sure. Well, it also felt like a a marked shift in the series. The conversations that Addison and Ben were having about their purpose, what they're there to do. Um, They're there to help people. And Addison was talking about how she'd been in reaction mode for so long. And she realized that she was there to help people. She started doing this to help people. So it's not just them, how do we get Ben home? How do we get from point A to point B? It's like, how do we help the people along the way? I've been in reaction mode for a long time. First you leaped, and I had to become your hologram. And then you died. And I had to deal with that. And then it turned out that you were still alive. Just lost all sense of purpose. Like I didn't know who I was anymore. And then it was obvious. I came to Quantum Leap to help people. That's who I am. Yeah, and I really liked that scene because I often forget that Addison was supposed to be the leaper. And she said, I've been in reaction mode, not not since Ben disappeared, but since Ben leapt initially. First, I had to be your hologram. Like Mm -hmm. the tables were turned and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So when she says this, she's been in reaction mode, not for this season, but for the last, what, four years. And yeah, yeah, that's it. It goes much deeper than I would have anticipated. And I never really thought in those terms for Addison. So it was just kind of a neat turn of phrase and, and a way to really bring home everything that we've seen so far. It felt like a a shift for her character, especially 
that she was like, I started this to help people and this is what I want to do. It's not just I want to get Ben back. It's I want to help people because that's what I, I came into this to do. And uh, I really enjoyed her on the leap doing the hologram stuff and uh, figuring things out with him. They had that great montage where they're they're doing their journalism bit. She talked about how she wanted to do journalism, and this was some another aspect to her that I found was interesting. It felt like she was engaged with the leap. There was a good chemistry between them. Uh, I thought it worked really well. Yeah, I think that uh, I termed it on the rundown here that Battison is back, and <laughs> one one of my uh, one of my criticisms of their relationship thus far has been that we haven't seen the kind of chemistry of them working off of one another to help solve the leap and to just really build their rapport as not only a couple but a team, and we got so much of that with Ben and Hannah. As you recall, I said last week, I, I wish that we could see more of that with Ben and Addison. And it's like it's like they were reading my mind because I know they wrote this for me exactly in reaction to what <laughs> I like, say on the podcast every week. They're yeah. like, stop, stop the prints. We got to make changes. <laughs> <laughs> but it did feel like there needed to be a shift in, in how they interacted because something was just not quite working a lot of the time. And there were like sparks of this that I felt like they did really well in this episode. And it it did feel like there was a good rapport going on between them. I wanted to know what was happening. I was like, what's going to happen when Addison shows up? What How's Ben going to react? What are they going to say to each other? It, it was an interesting way. It wasn't just, oh, here's Addison to spout off the information or whatever. Uh, it wasn't particularly angsty, but they still had a, a lot of like uh, dramatic moments in in the episode like ben finds out about what happened with josh they have the moment where uh, ben's drinking and they're talking about you know wh- their purpose like we were talking about before it felt like there was there was moments in there but it wasn't stopping the story it wasn't boring it, it felt like it was it was organic yeah, yeah, it really did. And I like the way that they played it off of the end of the last episode because Addison doesn't hedge. It's not like a big secret. She just looks up the information. And even though it's it's a tough thing to tell him, well, the letter worked. He didn't die of cancer, but he dies anyway of a car accident. And Ben says something to the effect of... You're still thinking about what happened to Josh. Maybe this is the universe telling me to stop trying. It reminded me of mirror image because it always reminds me of mirror image when sam is lamenting that he didn't save the relationship between al and beth there was a time once when he wanted me to do something for him and i didn't could you have done it i could have tried why didn't you try i wasn't there to save his marriage to beth i was there to save an undercover cop from being killed so beth thought al was dead and married someone else because because I always play by the rules I, I I've been having an evolving feeling about mirror image and Sam's destiny and the way the series played out originally and I feel like at that point GTFW felt that Sam was ready to go on and leap independently of his guidance of the project and be basically leaping on his own recognizance being able to figure out what to do, what to do right, and to go on to continue to do good. That's why he never came home. Whereas maybe at this point, Ben is trying to do that, trying to break the rules, trying to figure out how he can have a bigger impact on the people that he loves. And maybe GTFW in saying, hey, but 
he dies in a car accident anyway, is saying, Ben, you're not ready yet. You, you don't have enough seasoning yet. You don't have enough leap time under your belt to make these kinds of big decisions yet. And I, I don't know if I'm getting too meta with all of this, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, do, you, do you think that's like a, a viable take on it? I mean, if that's your take, sure. I kind of took it as sometimes some things are destined to happen no matter what you try. Like, it was good that he tried to save him regardless because that shows what a good person Ben is. Uh, but sometimes things just don't have a happy ending or don't work out in the way that you want them to work out. And uh, I don't know how much they've gone into on the show the rules of time travel. I mean, they always had on... Um, the original show, Sam had certain rules. You can't affect your own life. You can't do this, yada, yada, yada. But I don't know if they really have that on this show. When he wrote that letter, was it breaking a rule? When he got, I know that he couldn't get his mom's number in the, the pilot that wasn't the pilot. Uh, mm. They were kind of repeating that a little bit, but it didn't seem like there was a problem getting Hannah's number in this episode. Or like he nudges uh, Addison about it a little bit and then she gives it to him, but. I don't know what he is or isn't allowed to do while time traveling. That's an interesting point because they did try to set it up somewhat similar to the original project, at least in, in that respect. But Sam set up those rules, so they don't have to follow him. Yeah, no. <laughs> whatever. And Sam was just like, who set up those rules? You did. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. What idiot did that? <laughs> but um, I, I think that. This to me stands out as a special circumstance or maybe it's just because it's so contiguous because Ben has his memory in these leaps. He can from one leap to the next react and he would have had he not left told Hannah about the situation. So to him, it's just like, well, I still have to tell her and this is the means at my disposal in which to do it. And maybe the rules aren't as stringent at the new build, but you know, maybe they were, but all that's out the window. I, I don't know. It, it's been very nebulous. And I don't mind that they're playing with the time travel in this way because, number one, I like time travel stories. So I like time travel shenanigans. And the letter sure. is a classic. It's a classic. And, you know, harkens back to the leap back. So we like that. But I think that it's also in keeping with Ben's character. Like, this is what Ben would do because he has the knowledge. It's not like he is a, a clean slate at the beginning of every leap. Sam wasn't a clean slate either. <laughs> I don't know he... why everyone, why you act like Sam had complete amnesia every episode. They had episodes where he would remember things. What about the leap home where he um, leaps into Vietnam and then he's like, well, I can save my brother now, you know? Yeah, but those were special cases. And I'm not saying he, he was a clean slate. Everything, everything. I was not, I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying <laughs> is the Swiss cheese allowed them to drop story points conveniently for the sake of the sure, show. Sure, he'd remember whatever was convenient. I don't think that they wiped the slate clean. It was just whatever was convenient writing-wise. Yeah, but the thing is, I mean, he's got a wife who he didn't remember until he went back to the future, and now he never sure. remembers her again. Sure, because that was stupid. <laughs> But, but we were all happy to forget Donna. <laughs> but you have the narrative tool in place. You go, I'm going to gloss over your Donna hating. <laughs> we'll, have a whole we'll have a whole special section about that. She's not in this show. We don't care. <laughs> she might be. She's mentioned. She was she, mentioned. In did, the, was in she the, mentioned? She was mentioned Oh, they obliquely. did mention that he had a wife. They didn't yeah, really say by name. S2E1. Yeah. yeah they yeah. mentioned his wife. So, okay. so she does still exist somehow. Um but uh, if it's Donna, if it's indeed Donna, um, 
I, but I, again, there was a narrative uh, trick that they had so that they didn't have to follow through on any story threads that they didn't want to. Yeah, well, that was also the, the structure of TV then. But right, they, right. I mean, they had certain threads that they would follow through on when it seemed like the, the story was interesting. Like, it wasn't in an arc sense that they have in this show. So that's what, I think that's nice that they can do an arc and that they can have threads that go through the season with Ben. And that's what this Hannah thing is. And I think that's interesting. Yeah, I think it is too. It, it brings a new wrinkle to the dynamic of the show that we weren't able to have before, or at least that they weren't willing to put into the show for whatever reasons in the classic series. So having Ben with his memory opens up these possibilities in a fun and interesting way, but for him in a heartbreaking way in this episode. I mean, he does have a real crisis of faith here. Of course, they were using that to mirror the crisis that the main character, who he was there to help, her name was uh, Connie Davis. She was the crusading reporter, played by Nadine Ellis. But again, we're seeing the Leap story mirror what's going on in the interpersonal stories with what's going on in the project stories. So maybe when I first watched this one, I thought that part of it might have been a little clunky. But as I rewatched it the second time... I thought it all jived together like really seamlessly. And I think it was because I knew the beats of the episode and I knew what they were trying to accomplish. And I was watching to see how it was going to fall apart. But I was like, oh, no, wait a minute. They actually did a really good job. And it's actually really subtle. And as you said, it all came together very well. Yeah. And I think part of um, not being able to save Josh was part of Ben's arc learning that even though you lose someone, you have to keep going because it's the right thing to do, which is what dovetailed with the story with Connie losing a, a source. Mm -hmm. um, because That's how she got fired, because she got a little too zealous and the source ended up killing themselves. So they were both learning that lesson of pushing on despite the loss. Yeah. And I liked that part of it. And I think this goes back to my bigger meta thing with GTF dubs. Ben learning that he can't always win. Ben learning that maybe there are things that you can't change. Because if you recall in MIA, every time Sam tried to change Beth's fate with Dirk, mm -hmm. something else happened where she would meet his mother or they would just run into one another. And it was like, this is not what I'm meant to change. This is going to happen. This is a fact. And mm -hmm. that was where they left off in that episode. But then in Mirror Image... Sam is just like, I always play by the rules and I could have helped Al. Well, you tried your best and you couldn't at that point, but now he's leaping himself. He goes, the last thing he does is sees Beth and he says that Al's alive and he's coming home. He just directly circumvents it all. It's just like, how come now he has the latitude to do that where in MIA he didn't? In MIA, it was like what Ben is facing here. I'm trying to save Josh, but... I leap before I can tell Hannah in person. The letter I send does save him in a sense, but he still dies anyway. So it, it's almost in the leap home too, when Sam's trying to save his dad. Nothing he does mm -hmm. affects what happens to John. So the show is sending mixed messages. This is me trying to reconcile the fact that Sam does get to break the rules at the end. Ben is just not ready for that yet. You know, uh, having a time travel project isn't a magic fix-it. I guess that's what's great about these kinds of stories, is that even though you have the ability to do this, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't save someone. Sometimes things are destined to happen. And, uh, you know, with Mirror Image, I think it was just sort of like, 
you need a win. <laughs> Al needs a win. He's given up so much. Do something for Al, you know? And then Sam's like, I'm going to do it anyway. But sometimes there are some things that you can't fix in time travel. Um, it's good that they're doing the right thing, but the right thing isn't always saving everyone. Sometimes it's just fixing something else. Yeah, and that's sort of a bittersweet lesson to learn because you, you want to say, hey, I have I literally have space and time at my command. I should be able to circumvent or influence anything that I know about. Yet the universe is saying, nope, and Ben even says, you know, the universe is telling me to stop trying. Yeah, like he's he's going to give up and he realizes that you can't give up because you still have to do the right thing and and he pushes on. I love it. He has a Kirk speech at the end. He he rallies himself, he rallies Addison, he rallies Connie. It's just like let's let's get back in the game, <laughs> <Yeah>. everyone. <laughs> Suit up. I know you want to give up on yourself, but I can't let you do that. Because this is your purpose. Sometimes things don't go the way we want them to. People leave us. People die. But that doesn't mean you stop trying to do the right thing. She's like, oh, damn, you're good. <laughs> I, I thought that was a, a nice quantum moment. And uh, yeah, harkens back to sort of the heart that is a cornerstone of the series. So it's just also nice to see Ben in a good place. I think Ben and Addison were in a good place. I feel like Addison's growing acceptance is what helps set all of that up. Had she not come to her realizations over the last couple of episodes, I don't know that she would have been there as present as she was to pull Ben through this. And I think maybe that's why I grokked to their relationship a little bit more in this one, because she was not only speaking about the leap, but based on her experiences and and what she's learned herself it's helping everything overall not just not just with information but how she interacts how she how she conducts herself on the leaps and I, now i'm thinking maybe some of the you know addison is just there because addison is there maybe some of that was deliberate maybe it was so that we could get this moment where we could see the juxtaposition of the two addisons Someone that is just existing uh, on a leap being a data dump as opposed to someone that's, you know, really popping off Ben and, and helping and I, I don't know. I mean, I think that this shift is a reaction to that because they realized the stuff with Addison was feeling a bit reactionary, a bit not engaged with what was happening as well as it could be. But also at the same time, this is its character development, which is good. Like she wouldn't immediately fall into hey, this is great, we're saving people, I'm glad that my fiancé is lost in time, <laughs> but I'm glad that we're having this shift because it, it needed to happen. It needed to, to have some sort of change from focusing on getting Ben back to focusing on helping people and on the leaps, which I think is, is what was happening here. Yeah, it's a nice shift, and the project stuff doesn't seem to distract from it, <laughs> which which is also pretty cool. Yeah, I felt like the story here at the project worked alongside with what was going on, even if the stories are not exactly connected, but they are. Well, I'm just happy that we have this dynamic. I hope we get to see it play out in a much bigger way in the final two episodes of the season, which are coming, God, next week already. Jeez, it's gone so yeah, fast. They, they're doing them both the same night, and I'm not sure they're doing screeners, so we might be seeing it the day of we might be seeing it the day <laughs> of for sure um I, I gotta be honest i mean 
I wish that it was a two-parter, but it is going to be two separate leaps that just happen to be airing back to back. It's not like going to be a cliffhanger from what we've been told. But I can't imagine with the serialized nature of this season that they won't be two contiguous stories in many ways. Yeah. Uh, from the press releases, it sounds like they're both going to involve Hannah in some way. And I know that they have a story arc to wrap up. So I think it will still feel connected in that way. Yeah. And I'm glad we're getting them both because I don't want to wait. <laughs> but I'm kind of <laughs> sad because, you know, that's the end of the season and we still haven't had any news on a pickup, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, I'm, I'm just <laughs> happy that we're getting a, uh, a wrap up. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've watched something in real time where I'm like, is it going to be renewed? Is it not? <laughs> I know, it's it's like, oh no. But they had such an early renewal for season two that, you know, it kind of spoiled us a little bit. So who knows? I'd say it spoiled us a lot. Yeah, but uh, I mean, like, you know, if you guys are uh, are listening and, uh, and watching, um, be sure to watch it on Peacock if you can't catch it the night of, because uh, again, they count those views. The streaming stuff matters. It really does. So, I mean, we're talking about the back of the problem. Sorry, I derailed us from from the discussion with with all this. But um, I want to talk about that back at the project stuff, because I expected to hate Gideon Ridge. I called him Gideon Rich in the last episode. I'm sorry. I thought it was, they were saying Rich. It was Ridge. I mean, it was R-Y-D-G-E. Ridge. I swear I heard Rich. Even Phelan heard that, and he was like, his name's Mr. Rich? Like, the rich guy is Mr. Rich? <laughs> Richie Rich? <laughs> yeah, he's called him Richie Rich. <laughs> Should have come in in little shorts. and uh, yeah. <laughs> Like, if they just called him, like, Mr. Smug, <laughs> like, really on the nose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mr. Mustache Twirler. I yeah. like James Frain's performance in this. I thought that he played... Uh, he was, he was uh, greatly hateable. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you love to hate him. Like, <laughs> My first thing was, okay, I know last week we were making fun of the fact that he can just sashay into a top secret government project with seemingly no repercussions. But now this week, the first time we see him, he's sitting at Magic's desk as if he is the director on of the his project. Desk. Feet on his desk. Ugh. And Magic and Ian are just sitting there looking at him like, um, um, like I thought Magic was the boss here. They are getting stripped down by this guy, and he's kind of earned the smugness. He's a villain, but Ian wronged him. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's laying down the law there, and then Magic is sitting there like, what? Huh? What's been going on? <laughs> Magic gets so pissed, and I'm like, oh no, daddy's mad. Daddy's <laughs> mad at everyone. <laughs> I get that you're mad, but- You understand what you two have done? I do. This time, there'll be consequences that I can't protect you from. Magic, I'm sorry, but we were just- Get out! He's the maddest he's ever been. And we were talking about in season one, he's like world's greatest boss. Like, I gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Because we did this. Woo. And here he's like, don't talk to anyone else. You get out of here. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Tosses aside his little thing on his desk. Yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. It was nice to see Ernie be able to do something besides, you know, give a pep talk and to yeah. an avuncular smile. Yeah. Magic has been so underutilized. He was so mad. <laughs> it's cool. It's really cool. Now, I really liked Ian's reaction and the fact that they were able to bring Tom into it again, keep that character in the mix as the liaison for the DOD. It all kind of fits together with his role at the project, which we were parsing a couple of weeks ago. 
Here's what I don't get, though. They they bring in Tom as the DOD agent to talk to Ian. And then uh, when Addison finds out about this, she's like, isn't that a conflict of interest? And he's like, I don't know, because they don't know our, where we stand. And okay, fine. They didn't know that they were dating for some reason. But he's been working with this project for so long. He knows these people. He has a pre-existing relationship with them, whether it's romantic or not. So that does still seem like a conflict of interest to send him in to interrogate Ian. Maybe this is... I, I was thinking the exact same thing. I mean, regardless, it's a conflict. But maybe whoever at the DOD is Tom's boss is on team Quantum Leap. Like, they, they want the project to keep going. He said that he was told to burn the project to the ground, though. Oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> what I do know is that I got a call at three in the morning asking me to burn Quantum Leap to the ground. Yeah, he said that he was told to just tear him a new one. Um, but luckily, he was still on their side. Uh, Addison asked him to, to help and to go easy on Ian. And he did. He did the best that he could. I like that about him. And I'm still thinking that maybe there are factions that are with Ridge and maybe factions that are more anti-Ridge and maybe one of the people that called him is one of Ridge's cronies, like someone that's in Ridge's pocket. And maybe there are other people, other, you know, higher ups that have a different point of view. Again, I'm getting all meta here. I'm, I'm writing this in my head as if I were working on a novelization. Sure. I mean, well, that's good to kind of come up with a headcanon for it, you know, like figure out how this makes sense to you. And like, yeah, I can yeah. buy that. And I could see Tom not wanting to burn the project down and being in sure. the best position to see what is really going on here because he's got the context. Yeah, I think he cares about the, the people and the project. And he also still cares about Addison, even though they break up in this episode. But he still cares enough to listen to her when she asks him to help. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm just curious to know, like, how magic leaving is, I mean, that was the big reveal at the end. Magic is going to take the fall. I'm Captain Bones. That makes it my fault. Yeah, they have to, someone has to take the fall. They make it seem like it's going to be Jen because Ian's too integral and then uh, magic sacrifices himself. Right. But I mean, so how does that satisfy Ridge? I guess in a way it does because the project stays running. Ridge gets the chip. It could be. Now, listen to this. All right. Maybe the people telling Tom to burn the project down are the people who are against Ridge. Because think about the upside here for Ridge. He's saying that he wants his pound of flesh, but he's got now access to time travel technology that is leaps and bounds ahead of, you know, anything that he might have previously thought of. His quantum chip is integral to this. He gets all of this information. He gets a leg up in technology. He gets an edge over whatever competition he might have. And it's a win for him that Ian stays on because Ian is the only one that can really administer the tech side of this stuff. Y you think uh, Ridge is going to take over like as head of the project? I don't, I don't know about that, but it makes more sense that Ridge would love that magic leaves because magic at the end of the day is just a well-meaning administrator. But Ridge needs Ian and their expertise to get the most out of the project to get the most from this investment in this super quantum chip. Sure. So it could have been the people who were on team quantum leap, but against Ridge saying, burn it down because this technology should not be in Ridge's hands. 
Hmm, that's a way to think about it as well. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going all over the place here. I think they had too many characters at the project with nothing to do. (laughs) (laughs) And someone needed to go. But I don't know how it's going to end. So that's just my prediction. (laughs) I, I can't imagine that that's the last we see of magic. I just can't. Yeah, he may be in through the, through the rest of the season, but I don't know if they get renewed for season three. Mm. I don't know if we're going to see everyone at the project. It's funny. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about, and we were sort of, you know, we, we were kind of ragging on Jen last week. And this week when Magic says, Ian and Jen, they stood by me through my darkest days. That family took me, Tom. There's no quantum leap without them. Really? There isn't? <laughs> Without Jen? Okay. <laughs> if you eliminate Jen from the <laughs> from the the process, what is she is security gonna get worse without her there? Because it's pretty bad. She's never done a single security thing. She tracked down Janice. I think that's the only security thing she ever did. I don't know. I mean, like I said, I I enjoyed Jen as the hologram. I think like she is a character that can be very interesting and especially like as a foil to ben i really liked her i just don't like her as the security of the project because i think it's a bit of a useless role well i think that's also the way they're writing it because to justify what magic says almost the immediate next scene we see jen in a moment of extreme competence where she (laughs) has to help them crack that safe so that ben can get the you know the smoking gun that helps to leap right well i think she had to do it too because because ian wasn't there ian had to leave But this seems to be more in Jen's wheelhouse. She knows how to crack safes, right? Sure, that's true. But I mean, I also... This was me talking before about how it feels a little redundant because Ian and Jen kind of do the same thing. I mean, she does have a lot of a criminal history that helps her in this, but it's it's just been a struggle to find a role for her. Yeah. And like I'm saying, I, I love Nanrissa. She, to me, is one of the highlights sure. of the show. I want her to yeah. be on the show forever. And I want I just want Jen to have something really cool to do. Yeah. I think it just needs to be restructured because I, I like Nenrissa too, but uh, and, and I like Jen's character at times, but it just feels like she's not doing anything a lot of the time. So at least she got to have her hair a moment. She did. She did get to do stuff in this episode. And I feel like, you know, uh, the bumbling from the last episode aside, uh, <laughs> she had stuff to do uh, narratively and functionally in the story as well. Uh, her interactions with uh, with magic when he like yells at her, like she's like, wait a minute. And he's like, get out. <laughs> Daddy mad. You know, you could feel, feel that really hurt her because of how close they are. Yeah. And I guess that kind of harkens back to what used to be the Jen and magic show in season one. They were much more of an item as opposed to the Jen and Ian show in season two. Yeah. Where they're pairing those two off. And I, I, I feel like it was much more organic in season one with Magic and Jen chasing down these leads. And without the mystery box, I can't believe I'm going to say this, without the mystery box, her character is suffering a bit because there's no mystery to solve. Yeah. Well, I feel like her her character, when they were figuring out this show, um, 
before they were doing like casting and they were just figuring out story-wise. I feel like that character was added solely for the mystery box. They're like, okay, so Ben leaps. We got to figure out why he leapt. There's this other character who's breaking into the project, stealing stuff, whatever, with Janice. So we need to have the security here because security would be a big part of this. And we need security to track down Janice and do this stuff. Um, And I feel like that was the reason why this character was added. But they weren't thinking about any other reason for them to be there. And I, I don't know if Quantum Leap lends itself very well to saying what security is doing all the time, unless you're having a lot of security breaches, I guess. Like I said, I, I like Nanarissa and I like Jen's character doing other stuff. So I feel like if they could find another function for her, that would be great. Like if they just restructure what they do with the character. I think that's an excellent point, Allison. And it would be weird, but Hear me out here. If they're setting up this being Ernie's last season, then sort of a void opens up in the top spot of the project. Maybe Jen fills more of an administrative role. Maybe more. I, I don't sure. know. I, I can't imagine them getting rid of Ernie Hudson, though. Like, I can't imagine him exiting the show. Yeah, I hope they don't get rid of Ernie Hudson. But it may be that uh, they got to cut some budget stuff. It may be he's got he's too busy with, like, Ghostbuster stuff. Maybe there's other things going on. I'm not saying that's what it is, but yeah, this is all wild speculation on our part. It's all there wild is no, there is not even a rumor that we've heard that Ernie is is gone for season yeah. three. This so is, I don't know where this, this is, is coming purely from. Purely me just throwing <laughs> possibilities out, right. but this is not. We don't know what's going on. There may be a, a story reason for this that they're doing it. Uh, I don't think that he's gone from the show completely. Uh, at this point, I think he's going to be to the end of the season at least. Oh no, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I I can't imagine that they wouldn't have magic in whatever, however the season ends up. And I still have no freaking clue where they're going with this. I, 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 you know, we've been speculating, but there's not been many new breadcrumbs dropped for me to latch onto to say, ah, I can see that it's going this way. I can see, you know. Sure. I, you know, I've been throwing out things like, I think this is going to happen or this and this, and like, it hasn't always been the case. So, you know, sometimes you just got to throw a guess out there, but who knows? I did call it right with Josh. He's dead. Yeah, poor dead Josh. <laughs> they didn't save Josh. He herbicared too much. He herbicared too much. <laughs> I mean, some of those things in the leap plot, I I, I know I, I don't mean to make light of Josh's continuing death, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it's so fun to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but there were some clunky things. Tell me when she was doing the pumpkin story, the second... That woman coughed. Well, it sounds like you two are going to have a lot of leftovers this Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's true. <coughs> I laughed so hard. Every time they're talking about being sick, like the the, the pregnant wife has to show up like. <laughs> like Very Dickensian. Oh, she's, she's sick. Yeah. Um, so fun. I do love seeing a giant pumpkin, though. I was really happy to see some giant pumpkins. <laughs> pumpkins are my vibe. It was really cool. I also, what I really liked on this leap was it felt, I think, like the best modern period piece that they've done. Because often when they're doing things that go into the 70s, 80s, 90s, I feel like often don't feel exactly like the period. 70s, I think they kind of got, but 80s and 90s, sometimes it just feels like now, like when they were like out in the, the camp episode uh, in the woods, that was the 90s. You can't tell what time period that is. Um, but this felt to me like the 80s and it felt like the, the dress and the style and uh, the way that they did the the commercial, like it all felt true to the time. Like even before I saw what date it was supposed to be, I could tell the time period. 
I, I also loved um, Robbie Barlow's epic mustache. That was such an 80s oh, yeah. stash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's funny because this was a red flag to me on the leap end of stuff. Uh, We're making fun of like the wife coughing. But again, the second she coughed and I saw those barrels of pesticides behind Ben, I said cough plus pesticides equals plot. Like I knew that it was going to be about the pesticides right off the bat. So I said, "Uh, this is just going to be going through the motions. It's going to be a (laughs) it's going to be a boring leap. We're going to have to watch Ben discover things that we've known since act one. And it didn't go that way. I mean, it did go that way, but it wasn't about that. Right. And that process of discovery, again, it was such a great way for them to bring the Ben and Addison dynamic back. It was such a great way to flesh out Connie. I expected Connie to just be this boring character. Turns out she was actually a pretty good character. I liked Nadine Ellis's performance as Connie, and I thought she had a lot of pathos. And it was cool to see her have a good arc. I mean, there were a couple of things about her story that confused me. Hmm. I mean, she's this disgraced journalist from New York, literally like doing fluff pieces, pumpkin stories. And this is her biggest story in months is that pumpkin story. And I know it may play on words, big pumpkin, blah, blah, blah. Plumpkin. <laughs> they hated that. You're killing me. Ben and Addison are like, plumpkin, ugh. But then here we have, so, okay, I get it. You're back on the bottom rung of the ladder coming from this, this, these heights in New York City, which is like the biggest market in the country. And, you, you know, you've made it New York. That's it. Five seconds later, she makes one phone call to a cop to get phone records. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. You need a warrant, but don't say it. <laughs> oh, by the way, that's not how phone records work. Cops just can't get phone records. Like, you do have to get a warrant and you have to go to the phone company to get those records. Like, cops just yeah, can't pull well, them and, up. And even if he could just pull it up, like, you're you're screwing up the case against them. If they say, like, you didn't get a warrant for that, then, yeah. then you've screwed the whole thing up. Lives are at stake. Well, then maybe you should do it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? But the other thing is, like, she has a direct line to the best doctor in Denver. Like, where did she get that? If she's a nobody local journalist. I mean, she still has some clout. You know, she still has the prestige of who she was. I think the reason she's in the state that she is isn't just because they won't let her do it. It's because she's not confident in herself to go back into the hard hitting stories. But that to me is is where it falls down because she's not confident in herself to do those hard hitting stories. She would not have built up her sources in this town the way that they were apparently built up for story purposes. I could see her being that way in New York, but I could see her still kind of licking her wounds in Denver and not really having that that entree, that clout, those connections that you do need to be a good journalist if you're going to get behind the scenes, if you're going to get off the record stuff. So uh, that just struck me. But again, I don't know how much of that yeah. is a Chris problem versus because there are a couple other goofs too. So. Yeah, maybe, um, I mean, that was, the scene of her calling the cop to ask for the records uh, was to demonstrate how good she is at talking to people and getting information. Like, she's a really good, uh, unlike me, good speech person. You know, she can um, get things out of people. <laughs> unlike me, she talk good. <laughs> she talk good like me. Like me. Um, but it's, it's to demonstrate that how good she is at getting information from sources. So it may be that she knew these people, um, like she knew this cop because it was a small town. And then she's like, I know I can get information from him because this is what she used to do in New York. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, you have a headcanon for that, just like I was filling in the project stuff. I, I was just like, <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed to me that she wouldn't have the seasoning that she apparently did have if her biggest story of the last six months is doing pumpkins. When she goes up to the farmer guy, her and Ben are like, hey, we got we got to tell you something about this uh, pesticide. We got some bad news. And then he's just like, oh, that herbicide. I, oh, I love that stuff. It's so good. And they're clearly telling him bad news. And he's just like, oh, I, lo- I put it all over my pumpkins. It's so good. And <laughs> anyway, your wife is dying. <laughs> like All she needs is the bloody rag that she's coughing into. <laughs> she gets out of the car and immediately. <laughs> and you're like, oh, no. Oh. <laughs> this episode um reminded me a little bit of Roberto, you know, where yeah. where Sam leaps into the Geraldo type guy and then they go investigate Deep Throat from X-Files. And uh that had to do with pesticides or something too though, didn't it? Uh it was like cattle mutilations and radiation, if I recall. Well, I, it was, it's been a while. Uh, because they, they put the stuff in the inhaler at the end, so it had something to do with like pesticides, mm. I think, were like hurting the cows or something. Maybe. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, look I it up. I feel like it was kind of similar themes. Yeah, and it's funny because we always talk about the original series, but for those of you out there who only watch New Quantum, um there was a series called Quantum Leap back in the eighties and nineties, and <laughs> Sam leapt into people and he did do a journalism episode called Roberto. There's a couple of them. Temptation Eyes, he was also uh, a reporter. He was a TV reporter, yeah. Um I was thinking those about episodes that. were only four four episodes apart. Some of the same goofs, some of the same goofs. Um, while you look that up, I'm going to tell you that the gear that they were carrying, way, way too small for the 80s. Okay. It was a chemical plant they were investigating. It was it was something to do with chemicals. Oh, okay. Like they were dumping chemicals or something, like you know, toxic waste or whatever. Maybe that's why I'm thinking it was like radioactive. So it was probably toxic waste. Because they had the suit, so that's why they thought they were aliens or whatever. Right, right, right. So, yeah, bad guy's bad in that episode. It turns out bad guy's bad in this episode, too. <laughs> yeah, I was. they even had, like, a the, the lady he teams up with. Like, she could have been a big-time reporter, but she had asthma, so she couldn't be in the city. Oh, that's, yeah, that's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was something. Yeah, but, I mean, they're different episodes, some similar themes, but it doesn't feel like it's the same thing. Yeah, and, and again, maybe that's why it, it felt so akin to a classic episode of the series because it touches on things that we've seen before, but in I think in a good way. I'm not going to call it a clone. I'm not going to say – I mean, I know that um, I had kind of the same thoughts about Off the Cuff and A Hunting We Will Go, but I, I don't know that they're homages per se. I never heard from the writer of Off the Cuff whether or not – I have to listen to Sam's interview with them. He listened to our, our podcast about it though because he sent us a message. He did. So maybe he was thinking about it. Could be. Could be. I'll have to see. I, I can't imagine Sam didn't ask that question. Uh, I'm going to go on the record saying I apologize for not having watched that interview yet, but I will soon. Anyway, as I said, they would have been carrying around at least a big rig of three quarter inch tape recording, not just one little camera. Ben would have yeah. had a, he would have had a sore back by the end of that. Yeah. Early 80s, especially. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, producers don't usually act as photogs. There's usually a producer and a photog on set. Yeah. Unless yeah. you have two reporters <laughs> that are acting as their own photogs and each covering a story for the day. So that kind of took me out of a little bit. Also, where was Ben researching? That scene was great. I loved it. 
it brought back memories because I've had to research on microfiche a million times. And it's really cool to go through all those old newspapers to figure out what came before. So I've actually done that. That made me feel like nostalgic. But he's supposed to be in the TV station. The TV station wouldn't have 40 plus years of local (laughs) newspapers on microfiche. They only got so many sets. They only got so many sets. So. I mean, he would have to go to the newspaper and go to their archives right. or to the library to see if the library had it. That's all. That's all I'm saying. But it was really cool. I like that scene. I like that scene a lot because that was him and Addison working together to solve the leap. There was a good energy to it. I liked the montage music. And uh, I liked Addison bringing coffee into the imaging chamber. We are so close to her bringing in a bag of groceries just for herself we're almost there my dream will come true (laughs) she will carry forth dean's legacy i love stuff like that though when you have a contrast uh uh, for you realize she's in the imaging chamber and then like bringing a coffee in or just some contrast for like they need more contrast of her to the the leap you know something that doesn't really belong in the scene because she's in the future and, you know, coffee's not really, like, anachronistic or anything, but, you know, the fact that she brought that in there and they acknowledged, hey, you're in the imaging chamber right now, and he's like, eh. she's like, oh, it, it could be uh, an all-nighter, so I'm gonna bring a coffee in. Just something to kind of acknowledge that she is somewhere else at that time. Al was always dressed very futuristically. And, this, yeah, this this series is not doing that, but he was supposed to be distractingly futuristic, you know, sure. as, when the series debuted. Like, I don't see her showing up in her pajamas, like unprofessional Al, you know, (laughs) but there could be other things. I guess they did that a little bit when she's like in workout clothes and stuff. I don't know. They could have her like (laughs) dressed anachronistically for the weather or something like he's out in the snow, but she's in her just normal outfits because she doesn't need to dress cold. You know, I think that'd be cool. And here's the funny thing. I mean, the one thing that she probably would have on her that is anachronistic to Ben's time frame, no matter what, is her cell phone. But if you have the cell phone in the imaging chamber, it kind of defeats the need for the hand link. So yeah, that's I mean, why the I don't think is, yeah. <laughs> and the, the hand link stands out. People on in the past wouldn't have a hand link, so there's that. But just, you know, they had in the the second episode when they were in space and she's just standing around in space and hanging out on top of the yeah, space cool. module, you know? I really like yeah, that. Have some fun with it. Yeah, have some fun, definitely. Well, I mean, for all that, again, that doesn't need to define who the character is. I think we got much better definition in this episode of how Addison can be an amazing presence without having to be an anachronism. Sure. There was uh, the scene where she's talking to Tom. She comes out of the imaging chamber. She's still got the coffee in her hand. We know that's where she's coming from. And then he, they have the conversation about the DOD thing. And then she gets like a beep. <laughs> and then it's, it's like the Ben alert. And like, yeah. Oh, Ben needs me. <laughs> Sorry, Ben needs me. And she's like, oh, I got to go back in. Immediately after leaving. And then she comes in and he's sleeping. So sometime within that like minute... Ben fell asleep and then she has to come back in for some reason. <laughs> I don't know what what determines that she that Ben needs her in that moment. It doesn't seem like he does. But even maybe maybe Ziggy was like, oh, something's going to happen. You need to get on this real quick. That's the only thing I could think of. I'm thinking like maybe you guys solved the leap. Now Ben's going to oversleep. So get him on yeah. it. Get him on it. Because if he doesn't tell her within, you know. He fell asleep hard and fast. <laughs> Because she had just left the imaging chamber. It had been a long night. It, it had been an all-nighter. They did say it was going to be an all-nighter. So. I think Ben had uh, seven or eight empty cups of coffee next to him. Yeah. 
They should ha- they should change the Ben alert, you know, to be something like where it goes like Ben alert, Ben alert, Ben alert, or like the the red alert on Star Trek or something. Something just really obnoxious, and they can just do like the camera push ins and pull outs like they did on Star Trek on the klaxon. Yeah, yeah. yeah that- <laughs> they just have like a silhouette of Ben leaping, just like on the wall, like a flashes a light on there, the bat signal, the Ben signal. That would be too cool. I'm sorry, Allison. It never happened. It'd if be they, too cool. If they added a Ben alert, it would be <laughs> amazing and lame at the same time, but I would love it. <laughs> so that way they could all leave the project and all they would have to do is look up and they see the silhouette of Ben arms akimbo in the sky. I have to get to the project. They could get the bring back the wrist links, you know? They had the wrist links in the original show where they would like wear it and it, it has sort of some Ziggy tech on it. And then you could like, you know, they're out uh, doing their own thing. And then they're like, oh, look, Ziggy's letting me know that Ben needs me for something. But they could make them cooler than they were in the old show. The wrist links were. <laughs> I kind of like the wrist links. <laughs> I kind of like them, but they could be a little cooler now. <laughs> they were a little bit like Kirk's wrist communicator in the motion picture. Sure. If they left him exactly as is, I would still love it. Yeah, I, I liked I liked that. Um, it was a little redundant for him to have the wrist communicator and the hand link. I mean, why do you need both? Yeah, yeah. That seems like something when you're on the go, not when you're at the project, because Ziggy could just talk to anyone anywhere, and she did. Well, she, that was when she talked. Now she just does pen <laughs> alerts or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think that um, it could get as goofy. Let's get some more goofy stuff in there. It'd be fun. Just to have some fun. That's the thing that that I would like to see more of in season three is just some more fun. Because it's good to have a mix of both. You don't want it to be goofy goofersons all the time. Uh, But just have fun. Quantum Leap's a fun uh, idea. It's a fun plot mixed in with drama, you know? They're saving people, but there's also uh, inherently ridiculous things about the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this show has yet to embrace that side of it. So... I mean, they they, they, they kind of toyed with it a little bit this season, just with hologram placement and things like that. But this episode, I think, had a lot of fun moments in it, though. That I that's what made it feel classic to me. I liked when Ben was just really excited for Connie, and they start like squealing and hugging each other, and then they realize like this is really weird <laughs> and separate. <laughs> was pretty good i like the start of the the ben and addison scene uh where ben's drunk and it it is kind of goofy that he's drunk and then goes into like some serious stuff but it's things that they needed to talk about but it didn't feel like they were angsting about it it was just an organic emotional moment but it was still kind of goofy at the beginning of it so it just felt natural i didn't see ben as drunk there i think he was just having a slug because he was down i don't know he was acting a little drunk (laughs) <laughs> Wasn't he fired at that point too? Didn't Connie fire him? He was fired. Yeah, that's why he was drinking because he was feeling really low down at that moment. Yet another thing that reporters can't do, fire producers. Producers work for the TV station, not for the reporters. Just saying. <laughs> so, there is one serious thing. And again, this could be me going all meta again, but it kind of ties into some of the stuff Tom has been saying this season. And that final scene with Addison, when he says that working with time travel has made me believe in fate. When, what do you mean? Well, think about it. We started dating because you lost Ben. Then Ian found Ben and ended up here. I think we were meant to be together. And I think we were meant to break up. Like there's the, the concept of fate. And it reminded me of when Tom earlier in the season 
had suggested that leaping requires sacrifice, that sacrifice is the engine that drives leaping. And I was thinking, sacrifice to who? Sacrifice to what? Here's this higher power. We're talking about it again. Now it seems to me with Tom saying it's fate. I was supposed to be here. I was supposed to date you. We were supposed to break up. Once again, it seems that he's acknowledging that he might be like an unwitting piece of a larger game that he can't see or that none of them can really see. Is now he part of that sacrifice so that the leaps can be successful? It was a very interesting question to me. I don't think you and I have discussed this aspect of it. I would bring it up to Matt and he'd be like, yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But had you any reactions to that whole idea of leaping requiring sacrifice? And do you have any kind of stance on that? I mean, I think we were getting into it a little bit with the Josh stuff, right? Some things are fated to happen. Sometimes sacrifice is necessary. Maybe he was supposed to die for some reason. Um, I think every leaper that we've seen on this show has had to sacrifice something. I mean, Ben sacrificed his his whole life, basically, to do this. Um, Addison is sacrificing her life as well, or, or her relationship with Ben. I don't know. Her relationship with Tom, certainly. You know, everyone has to kind of give up something. Tom just sees it as part of that whole bigger idea. It's how he designed it in his mind. That's how it, when you pan out of the the snow globe, that's how it all fits together in the story. <laughs> I should have known. Well, I, Tommy forgot. Westfall, I forgot that Tom is pulling all the strings anyway. Thank you for reminding Tommy me. Tommy <laughs> Westfall knew what was going to happen because he, he orchestrated in his head and he's like, you know what? The self-insert is not working. I got to let Addison fly free. okay all right you've solved all my problems you've answered all my questions thank you allison (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) it's like that simpsons bit when you ask about something a wizard did it but it's like you know if whenever you think of something like that tommy did it okay all right so now we know tommy Tommy did it westfall did it yeah season three you know even if he's not on season three we're like why did that happen uh it was old tommy westfall Actually, season three, what's going to happen is something bad is going to happen and it's going to freeze frame. And then Tommy will stick his head up into the frame, like poke it and sing, did I do that? Like Urkel. Did I do that? <laughs> Addison wanders in with her groceries like, ah, oh, come on. Did I do that? We got it all planned out. Hire us on the show, guys. That's it. We figured it out. We figured it out in a way that you can um, pull in all of those 90s viewers, too. So... With good old Urkel callbacks. Heck yeah. You know, so. We ought to bring Urkel in. Otherwise, you ain't getting in the old audience. It's honey to them. You know, it's bringing them all in. Somebody called Jaleel White. We got to get him on the blower and he'll be in season three. Yeah. Bring him in as another hologram, an alternate hologram. <laughs> We're good. We're gold. But, you know, he can traverse into the Westfall universes. Like he's the he's the planeswalker of the Westfall universe. Yeah. Is Family Matters part of the Westfall universe? It I should feel like be. It, has it is to now. Be. We just, it we probably just, is. We just made it part of the Westfall universe. So I'm looking up. The answer is yes. Family Matters. <laughs> Westfall universe. Yes. Of course it is. <laughs> because uh, wh- what connected it? Because they spun off of Perfect Strangers. That's what uh, Family Matters is a Perfect Strangers spinoff. Gotcha. 
So where did that come from? They were also on Full House and Step by Step and a show called Migo, which lasted like, I think, half a season. I, I, there's there's a whole chart, but I'm not. Yeah, gonna I know. Out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You know who else I thought was pretty entertaining in this episode? I liked Mustache Guy. This was uh, what Robbie Barlow was the mustache one. Yeah, that's Robbie Barlow played by Charlie Bowden. I thought he was funny in it. There was good energy. Good guest cast. Yeah. I mean, this was Nadine's showcase. Oh, yeah. She was great. I like John Marshall Jones, who played Davidson. He was the news director, and Charlie was great. And uh, the guy who played Chet, uh, Matthew Polkamp, was uh, just the right amount of smug. <laughs> and I guess you had to balance that against... Uh, <laughs> against James Frain's uber smug. Oh yeah, I loved his delivery in the the commercial when he says Herbacore, Herbacares. Because of Herbacore, we Herbacares. <laughs> that was so deliberately bad, it made yeah. me think of something that would have been on movie nights. Like shaking the hand <laughs> of the farmer and the kind of awkward turn to the camera. It was very good. And that also felt very period appropriate. I loved it. You would know. <laughs> You're the expert on all things bad and uh, funny bad. So, yeah, that, that fit right in. But it's intentionally funny bad. Yeah, me. exactly. Exactly. So nice touches again. So, I mean, that might help uh, usher in some of my final thoughts on the episode. Do you have anything else to discuss about? I did want to add, I was glad that this wasn't just an action adventure type episode because they've had a lot of those this season and there was some action in it. Like there were explosions, there were guns and some, you know, like there was that stuff to it. But it felt like the heart of it was really, it was a story about Connie and it was a story about Ben and Addison and it felt like it it gelled really well and it wasn't just about, you know, let's have a, a big sprawling adventure. Yeah, and I think maybe that's why it felt so akin to the classic series for me, because it did feel like something you could have seen in an 80s TV show or a 90s TV show, and that's not a knock on it. It's something that I feel like this series has lost a little bit, some of the smaller stories, because we're seeing all the amazing grand adventures, the globetrotting adventures that Ben is on, and I'm loving all of that stuff, but this one seems to get back to some of the core things about quantum that made quantum quantum. And I like that it was a smaller leap. I like that it felt very much of its time. Uh, I thought I was going to be bored as crap by it, to be honest with you, because of all of the more dynamic things we've been getting. But it was quite the opposite. I mean, it was a chance for the show to breathe a little bit. It was a chance for us to get some other character stuff in. And it was a chance for us to get maybe that smaller feeling of accomplishments of connecting with individuals, yeah. smaller, smaller lives. Even though in this one, Ben saves literally thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. When all <laughs> the said stakes and done. are still really huge. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, smaller stories don't automatically equal boring, just the same as an action story doesn't automatically equal exciting. They've had some episodes, especially in season one, where it was action based and it was so boring. You know, like there, there's a, a way to make you care about the characters and the story. There's just got to be a balance there. And I, I like that this was a smaller story and it still had some exciting moments in it. But yeah, it really was just about the people on the leap and about helping people. And that's really what Ben and Addison, the conclusion that they come to as well. 
Yeah, in many ways, it's like everybody's now recentered and and ready to go, and I can't wait till the next two episodes when they just blow that out of the water and say, "Oh yeah, you thought you were ready." <laughs> so let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, I'm even excited about what's going on in the project. I think it's interesting, and I want to know what happens to the characters, and I hope that they get a season three. I really do. Yeah, me too. Me too. And um, I think that closes the book on our discussion of The Outsider. But don't go anywhere because after the break, we'll bring you our interview with the one, the only, Deborah Pratt. Stay tuned. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. I'm Jethro. And I'm Matt. And we're the co-hosts of the Drunkard's Walk podcast. Do you know what the St. Pancras Railway Station, Hydrox Cookies, and the Ragamuffin Cat all have in common? They're all pages on Wikipedia. And on Drunkard's Walk, we go from one random Wikipedia page to another only through the internal links of Wikipedia. That's right. And we get those destination pages from guests that come on the show that we talk to and find out why they give us those pages. And there's a little drinking and a lot of arguing. So check out Drunkard's Walk wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, I'm Margarita Matthews, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hey, Allison, we're back, and you know what that means, don't you? Does it mean an interview's coming up? It means it's time for the one, the only, the Deborah Pratt. Hello, Leapers, and welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie, and uh, we're here with Brian Green. And we are so fortunate to have the wonderful, uh, fabulous, beautiful, intelligent, kind... Deborah Pratt. How you doing, Deborah? Good morning. At least it's morning here. We're fans. Yeah, it's late night here. So uh, tell us where you are. I'm so excited for you. I am in Uganda, uh, Africa, and uh, I am on a, a tour with an amazing man, a travel expert named Peter Greenberg. So he is shooting a show about Uganda, and um, and I get to be part of it. So not on screen. That is amazing. Back screen, behind screen. Uh, we we are here to talk about the eleventh episode of season two, yes. The Outsider, directed by Deborah Pratt. This is your second director uh, credit for the new uh, Quantum Leap. Series. Yes, it is. Uh, tell us all about it. Yeah, uh, how did you get this episode? Uh, when did you hear about it? Tell us things. Um, well, we knew we were going to do another one. I knew I was going to do another one, and we waited for the strike to end. You know, we shot the first eight and then um, we waited for for everything to come back up. And and so I had they gave me one. They seemed to give me the ones that are highly emotional, which is great, because to me, those are the closest to the original Quantum Leap series. And um, it's a great story about a woman's comeback who's lost her career and lost her courage and um and I think uh, Nadine Ellis does a brilliant job on on pulling it off. The entire cast just nailed it from the audition going forward. And we um, we got to shoot all over the uh, Universal lot. 
there's a, a, a spoiler alert if you're listening to this before the show airs, <laughs> um, where we shot at um, uh, Bates Motel. So if you ever go on the tour, I saw that. <laughs> that's kind of ah, cool. So cool. <laughs> and and actually, here's a here's a bit of trivia. The gentleman that's inside with the phone when she makes the phone call plays Norman Bates at the tour. So if you take the tour, you know he's going to come after you with a knife. Nicest man. Wow. I apologize. I can't do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- that looks so familiar. And I was like, oh, wait, they're on Universal Lot. Uh, oh, that's that's the Psycho Hotel Motel. That's so crazy. So was the Psycho House right behind there? Yes. Yes, it is. It was, wow. had to shoot low wow. to make sure we didn't get the uh, the family the family dwelling behind. Yeah, Nadine, she was amazing. I, th- I thought, like, uh, we found our next Leaper if we ever get a third series. Uh, she was just that good. Yeah, I've had a couple of people say <laughs> she should get a spinoff, and that should be her series. An investigative reporter in 1986, I think it was. She's an incredible actress. From the moment I saw her do that audition, I knew that's who was, uh, had to be uh, Connie. And um, she just did a great job. I'm really happy with her, the entire cast. I think she and John Marshall Jones should do a a series by themselves. The character Davidson, I, I love. Car- oh my God, he's so good. And and there was some fans, you know, some of the the uh, actors grew up with him on his series, and so there was a little get, bit of gushing going on, inc- including Ben, <laughs> uh, including um, <laughs> Ray. Um, and I'm trying to think of who else. I think Caitlin too knew him growing up and a couple of the writers. So he was a little bit of a rock star on the set, which was great. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's a TV show right there. Kind of the beauty of Quantum Leap for sure. Yeah, I would totally watch that. Were you involved in all the casting? Is that how that works as a director? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a lot of times, sometimes the um, if the studio has an actor... Uh, or a big name, especially that they want to push forward that, you know, sometimes you have to take a back seat to that as a, as a director. But for the most part, you choose everything. You approve wardrobe, you approve casting, you approve locations, you approve, you know, it's your picture and the beauty of quantum leap. It's a new movie every week. Yeah. Because of the strikes, uh, when did you get this story? When did you know what, what script you're directing? Uh, was it, was a very uh, compressed process? Well, uh, the the story was in the works, you know, early in that sense, but it changed quite a bit over the course of things. We got a, a first draft from Rami and then um, notes from uh, Dean and Martin. And then they brought in, um, they brought in Margarita, who's an incredible writer. And Margarita did the final polish and made the changes and just tightened it up. And, you know, we talked about, the making it more suspenseful. I really wanted, um, and she really wanted it to, to have the edge of, uh, of a Mike, Michael Clayton kind of story. And it's an important story in the sense that we're dealing with what big pharmaceutical companies and big agricultural companies do to us. And their bottom line is, um, it's cheaper to put this product out and let people die and deal with the costs of paying their medical bills. And that's a sad thing to be, but it's a truth. Um, when you look at, at companies like DuPont who are still out there doing it. And um, there's one that 
that closed recently went out of business finally after years of torturing people. Um, but it still happens. And to have the opportunity to call it out um, is always a great quantum leap story. Uh, and then, you know, we've got the parallel story of what was happening back at headquarters. And, and I got to really work. Um, it was one of those shows where I was able to find a, a true dramatic moment for, for everybody in the show, for, for Ian, for Magic, uh, for Caitlin, um, for Ray, everybody in the show, even Jen. And then also our guest stars, James and Peter got true moments in the show. So that was really exciting. And I really enjoyed drawing them out. That's the other thing that I, I think I am given latitude just because I'm old school and they respect it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> the moment uh, in, in the records room where Ben says, I never knew you wanted to be a reporter. And she says, you know, I've got my secrets. And they connect back together, I think, in that moment that they've been apart since the beginning of the season. And that's the moment that they reconnect. And I really got to take the time to let it happen. And they were beautiful on taking the direction and, and playing out the chemistry of what had happened in the beginning, what made them fall in love with each other in the beginning. So that was a real moving piece for me. And um, and I think the same thing when, when uh, Connie comes out of Denison's office and she's given up, she's quitting, and she just falls apart. And as a matter of fact, the studio said there was one take that I absolutely loved, and they went, no, wait, that's way too dramatic. I said, it's a 10 o'clock show, it's a drama. What are you talking about? It's way too dramatic. So we... Um, <laughs> We ended up using the version, but it was, it, it, she's excellent. She was excellent in every take. So they couldn't take anything away from her. And then in the van, there's another wonderful moment with she and Ben, where Ben, you know, says, this is just the beginning. You haven't ended your life. You've just started it. And she, so, well, she was so vulnerable in that moment where you think I can do it again. And he, uh. He said, yeah, you're going to need a producer. So, I mean, it was just really well-written and well-done and well-performed. And I think we captured it. So I felt good as a director capturing all that. And then there were a couple of things that I put in there, like a Dutch angle when he gets knocked out. And that was really fun. And usually the network in the studio hate that kind of stuff, but it worked. It absolutely worked. It wasn't just random. And the tension of you know, his spidey senses came out. I said, I want you to feel like your spidey senses have come out and you think you're hearing something and you think, and then you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a fun show. To sh it was a beautiful episode. And I mean this in the best possible compliment. It felt to me like an original series episode. I think you could have sl uh, slated, uh, you know, Scott and Dean right in there and it would have worked the same. <laughs> Like the emotion, the heart was there. And I was like so amazed watching it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, it's Deborah, of course. <laughs> of Thank course. You. There was a moment, uh, like you said, in the in the file room with Ben and Addison. And they, they pause and they just look at each other. And then, you know. And that came across so beautifully. Oh, thank you. Thank um, you for saying it, so. It was perfect. So. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted that. And, and I thought it was really important to establish them. 
again. And, and, she, and Caitlin's speech about, you know, first you leapt and then you died and I had to deal with that. I thought she nailed that with so much emotion. And, and so you really get to understand who she is in that moment of what's been happening to her. We've been so with Ben, we never get to be with her and her emotions. So that was her moment. And I thought uh, Ray was brilliant of how he played. When she finally tells him the truth, I got engaged and then I got unengaged. So <laughs> that was probably one of the best moments of the episode. I, I, I really loved uh, drunk Ben and I loved uh, Caitlin in this episode. Caitlin nailed the whole episode and she just had this. It was crazy. She had this joy. She was emanating this joy that like the possibility of being with Ben again. Uh, but without playing like smiling and happy, but it was there somehow. It was, he's a good actress. All and that? you know, uh, it's, it's yeah. usually the second and third year where you really get to get into the, the, um, the ensemble characters and you get to go deeper into their feelings and their worlds and their, um, emotions. And so I really wanted to take advantage of that with her. And I think we did. I really do. And sure. probably the best moment all season for Mason uh, was that scene uh, with Peter. Tell me about that. Um, we talked about the scene and they originally played the scene sitting. And I said, I think you want to stand up. Let's find a place where you just stand up and, and tell uh, Tom the truth about why you did everything you did and that you, you really aren't ashamed of it. And they, Nailed it. The emotion that was there, the angry, yes. the anger, but also the compassion of why you do something for someone that you care about. So, I mean, Ian is an incredible, Mason is an incredible actor and they go there all the time, but I don't think the show has given them the opportunity to express that kind of, you know, Passion. So I'm, I'm, proud, exactly. of I'm proud of that. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they see what uh, they can do. And uh, there's more of that in the future. Uh, another moment I really loved. And I noticed like the, how well it was done was um, when Addison and Tom say goodbye. And uh, it, there was uh, some nice shots in there. And I noticed some kind of like, did you shoot through glass or something? There was like a nice little tiny reflection if you look. Oh, yeah. And it's just beautiful. Anna is an amazing director of photography. And, you know, the, we've shot the um, the headquarters is so many times in so many places. And and I said, I want to find a, a unique way to look at it. And so she moved some of the ziggies and some of like the back ziggies. And there's a, a glass door there. And she shot through that door and lit so that it got that, um, that filtered effect. And it was just, it was romantic and touching and soft. And there was a lot of pain going on in that scene in, from both Tom and Addison trying to figure out how to say goodbye. And I, I let them play it a couple of different ways, but we chose the one where they were grateful for each other. But they were sad, 
you know, and I thought it had been beautifully set up in the other episode um, at Princeton where Tom said, I miss my wife. And you look, you really got the feeling of his next chance at happiness is so close. And then when he played that scene in the hallway where Addison, I mean, in the um, main headquarters area where Addison tried to talk to Ian, but they walked away and Tom says, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy from the, from the department of, of uh, defense. And, um, but the moment where he said, I think when you look back on this, if you keep staying in the past, you'll never get to the future. So he was fighting for her. And I think she was not, she was realizing it too. And it, it and each step of the way, that's what I loved about the, the script. Each step of the way took it in a, another step closer, another step closer, another step closer. So we got to understand each of those characters. So it was a real character episode. I mean, besides the drama of, of what was happening in the league itself. And of course, James, James is Gideon is, is fabulous. And I really wanted yes. him to, um, I asked him to play the child man. And you'll know more about why <laughs> when I say that, but he, you know, just opening on the close up of the, of the Newton's game and, um, and letting him play it as a spoiled, rich, billionaire tycoon person comes across like all all of them to me. And he, he really captured it, I thought. Good cast. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Uh, a lot of the season-long stories like come to a head in this episode. Was that a lot of pressure? Or did you feel complimented that they gave it to you to, to wrap up those things? Oh, I felt very complimented. And and truthfully, they that's just the beginning of the wrap up. I think that's why we're going next week to to do a double header. And you're gonna get your minds blown. Get ready. <laughs> um, but Very yes, cool. I felt I felt that I was trusted with some important uh, storytelling information. And and Anna um, Abogadu made it beautiful. And everybody came with their A game. There, there was just every performance. And I wanted to make sure that that was shown in the storytelling process. So we did it. I think we did it. We'll see what the fans say. Where did the title The Outsider come from? Do you know? Uh, you know, I did not ask the writers that. But I think it's it's always a double entendre when it comes to Quantum Leap. Ben is the outsider that comes into the situation, but I think Connie was also the outsider coming into the situation. And then James was an outsider coming into the situation. So there was a lot of change yeah. that was unfolding. And, but those three key storylines, I think helped define what the title was about and what it meant and how it, how it was allowed to play out. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, <laughs> but I have to ask uh, Rami and and Margarita Margarita if there was a specific take on why, but I think that's really what it was. It was just all these people who were coming from the outside to to solve a problem, and um, even even uh, Robbie, 
who's a bit of, who who is a whistleblower. Um, he's at the heart of it, but he he can't live with it in that sense. So mm-hmm. it's smart stuff to say the least. It's it's great for yeah. the kind of audience that I believe the quantum leap viewers are. They're in, highly intelligent. You don't have to tell them what's happening. You lead them down a path and they figure it out probably as fast as, as you do, which is great. And you don't tell them whose side to stand on. You just say, this is the story. How do you feel about it? And they feel about it. I was reading some interesting commentary on um, Reddit. It just kind of popped up in my feed. And they were talking about, somebody was saying, well, I was watching the original series and they were using the N-word uh, a lot. And it was the series, it was the episode of The Color of Truth when he left back in time. And then um, I, I responded and said, well, that was historically accurate, you know, and people do. And the fact that we've decided to become politically correct, I think changing history is problematic because if you if you don't look at what the history was, you're going to relive it in the future. So there was some interesting things in it where then somebody said, well, you know, they've changed it in several um, where they bleep it out or they uh, blur it or they replace the words on several of the streamers, which I did not know about. And again, it's the political correctness of, hey, I don't want to offend you or hurt your feelings. But the truth is when Scott so brilliantly played how it felt to have that word thrown at him, you, the audience, got to walk in his shoes. So it gave you a whole other compassionate look at, wow, that's what that feels like. So that's the the, the history of, of what the show is about. And it saddens me that the courage to do it and put it out there as it was created wasn't there by those streamers. And I, I, I can't remember who they were, but that's, that's wrong to do that in the sense. Good television, good storytelling is not about making you feel warm and fuzzy and comfortable all the time. We can get you there, but sometimes we want you to, to feel the passion of the moment, to feel the, um, the pain of the moment. And, uh, this show does that in a in a lot of senses. This episode did it in in ways of a woman who is, you know, not 30 years old, not 20 years old, not starting her career. It's ageism in a sense, but it's also dealing with what it's like to be a woman in any period, but certainly in the 80s where you're trying to fight to be of substance and the system won't allow it. And she also gets caught of pushing so hard to be that tough guy reporter. And uh, she pushes too far and costs the guy's life. And then to have it uh, a deja vu moment like that, where it happens again in the middle of a, of a, a story. And I thought, again, um, their performance in his office was so honest. You know, when he says, this is it, and she goes, this is it. 
and walks out and you think her life is over and how's Ben going to get her back? You know, it's that great roller coaster ride of quantum leaps of, oh no, no, it looks like it's going to get together and there's going to, they're going to make it. And then all of a sudden, shoom. <laughs> so that's the fun of the show. How did you feel like uh, from your perspective going into this episode, being the second of the new series you directed versus the first? How did I feel? Um, it's a different show. I mean, and I say this all the time. I 30 years ago, I tried to tell them that Quantum Leap could do everything that Star Trek can do. Star Trek has had nine television spinoffs, nine feature films. Why are you waiting? Why are you sitting on this franchise? I still don't understand it to this day. And each of those shows is a different version of Star Trek. This is a different version of Quantum Leap. And I hope there are eight more. Um, so it's really, it, for me at first, I was very protective of the lore. And then I realized, you know, they're, they're honoring it for sure, but they're adding to it. And, um, and so once I relaxed into it and said, all right, let's see where this goes, because here's someone with a different, different perspective than I had, well, you know, part of my respect perspective was, uh, tied to Don and his military background. Part of it was the network only giving us a very little amount of money. So we couldn't really go to the present and rarely go to the future just because of costs. And I was thrilled to finally have headquarters where you could access it and who's there. You know, Gushi was there and um, Al went back. But the the opportunity to really get into it and see where Ziggy lives. And there there's the opportunity coming, I think, where Ziggy will be a much more uh, prevalent part of the storytelling because she is the foundation of everything that's happening, the future and the past. So uh, to answer your question, I think it, it's, it was challenging at first, but then exciting once I said, let me go with the flow. Um, it's like on this trip, I'm riding the rapids on the Nile. We do the first run and they, and I'm one of the paddle, uh, I'm in the paddle boat. So there's six of us paddling. And they said, when you come into this, the rapids, grab hold of the rope, take your oar and put it down and get down as low as you can. And I was thinking through my mind, grab the rope, take the oar. And by the time I got to get down as low as you can, I was out of the boat <laughs> in the Nile. <laughs> and uh, luckily I held on to that rope. I did not go all the way away. As, and I was so ex exhilarated by the moment of, A, the water didn't feel mean, if that makes any sense at all. It lifted me very gently and just took me out like we're taking you away now. <laughs> and, and I I enjoyed it in a weird way after I got back in the boat. But I was like stoked, you know, just excited by the fact that I ran the first rapid of the Nile and and survived. And if I'm gonna, like I said, I'm going to post some of this water downstream where the rapids are insane as that as the. Lake Victoria funnels into these this tiny channel to become the Nile. And um, I think that's us m mimicking nature in a story 
like that. You've got this big, whole, wide world of uh, Lake Victoria, but we have this whole big, wide world of story. And you take that story and you find two or three people to tell it and you ride with their emotions on it and it gets dangerous and it gets scary. And, but suddenly you come out on the other end and you've learned something. So to me, this adventure that I'm on right now is really just a, um, an opportunity to look at how life is so much of nature and so much of storytelling. And that as a good storyteller, as a writer, as a director, as whatever, you want the opportunity to um, to take your reader, your viewer on a ride, to feel what you wrote, and to feel it in their own bones, so it becomes their story. And Quantum Leap, to me, is the best show ever created that does that every week, because you just never know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there, there's some, uh, people that are getting nervous in the fan community because we haven't heard about a season three yet. Uh, is there any indication either way that you could give us? Uh, you know, that's why we have fans. So get nervous, write to, I saw somebody did a, p- a poster for a campaign to write in to say, don't take this yep. show away. You know, the, 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 the truth of, streaming and networks and everything changing the way it is. They're terrified of not having the viewership, but I've seen the numbers. We're doing really well. Thank you to the original fans that have come back. We're finding new fans because people forget this show never went off the air. It went into syndication on USA network and then it went into syndication worldwide and then it stayed in syndication. So I will go into meetings and uh, there'll be a, 28-year-old or a 35-year-old executive sitting behind the desk and they'll look at me and say, oh, well, before we start, I just need to geek out for a moment because I watched Quantum Leap with my mom and my dad and my grandparents and we would talk about the shows and and it's so heartwarming <laughs> to to find someone that loves the show that much. So it would be sad to, to take it away after two years uh, and stupid, in my opinion, Universal, NBC. Um, yes. yeah, so, but I, I think the fans, if they write about it, if they comment on it, that it's not like when we did it back in, or the fans did it really back in 1992, I think we had major letter writing campaigns and it kept the yes. show on the air. It's frustrating because we've moved it a third time already. This is our third, you know, location. So it makes it a little bit challenging for people to find it and because it really is a family show um 10 o'clock you know at least give us nine o'clock you're gonna move this again (laughs) (laughs) amen if if we do get a season three hopefully we get a season three we're trying uh you get to direct another episode right i'm hoping yeah (laughs) i don't see why not Did you get to write any you get to write any? Is is that ever in the future? You know, I haven't. You know, I'm I'm still trying to do the feature films, so I have not offered my services in that way, and um, so I don't know. I have a couple of ideas for sure because this show has always been pretty easy for me to to write. So I have some ideas that um, I'd love to of stories that I'd love to tell. Yeah. 
Well, uh, like you mentioned Star Trek, uh, Star Trek, uh, they just started. They're going to be starting to do uh, made for the streaming service uh, movies. So is that ever in consideration like a, a made made for, say, uh, Peacock movie? Uh, it is a consideration. I mean, we haven't talked about it um, only because, again, it's it's weird. Paramount got franchising. I don't know that um, Universal really has when it comes to TV. Their attitude is it's a television series. Well, so was Star Trek. Hello? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel good about that. Uh, yes, all those possibilities that's, that's are there weird. as far as I'm concerned. All right. Well, wherever we can watch it, we'll, we'll watch your work. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, before we go, can you tell me, uh, what you brought to this episode? Cause to, to me, you brought all the heart, but, uh, like something that we might not know that it was your touch that did it while we watched the episode. Well, definitely the heart because in, in each opportunity that I could find for the actors, I wanted to give them a moment of drama. Um, and I was very even-handed about that. Really went through the script and found opportunities for... I mean, I'd never seen Ernie in any of his work do what he did in this show. Um, and, and to really lift them and guide them and push them a little bit to take that next chance. Um, and they trusted me. And then just a few things that, you know, like I said, the Dutch angle... I wanted to do that just to to set up some classic film callback. Um, I'm trying to think there was Mm -hmm. something else I did. Well, there were a couple of things where I had to kind of create shots by taking the film and flipping it and reversing it. So there's a backwards shot here and there of something that I couldn't get because we shot it in seven days, which was crazy. Um, But it definitely had my stamp on it. And um, as one of the one of the parents of Quantum Leap, I wanted to to make sure that that was there. So I did. Job well done. Flawless record. A Deborah Pratt episode is always a great episode. Thank you very much. Yes, oh, and, indeed. And the ask to have Matt Dale at the end. Oh yeah. Which yes, it broke my heart. I got to see him this summer in uh, London. And we were talking back and forth about his uh, Kickstarter and, you know, how he was excited about the book. And he sent me the book. So I have a signed copy of all all three books. And um, I will miss him dearly. He was like behind my new Warrior One series. My, you know, I wrote a, a graphic novel called Warrior One and. And he was giving me ideas on the network, uh, I mean, on the website for Warrior One World. And he was just a good guy. And um, I'm grateful that I got to know him. And his book kept me sane in that big span of 20 some odd years when people would say, hey, let me ask you a question about Quantum Leap. And I'd go, oh, my God. And I would open that book to whatever show it was. And he, all the details were there. And it just made me remember so much of doing the original show and and carrying it into the new show as well. It's, a, it's an amazing moment, and we're all very grateful that you were able to do it. Thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, Universal stood behind me. Martin and Dean stood behind me. Everybody wanted it, you know, once they had known who he was and what he had done. And the, and like I said, the studio and the network, who rarely will do that, understood how important he was to all of us, you know? Um, yeah. And he makes you appreciate what you do even better. You guys are great at it, and I love coming on the show, and and I think jarring my memories, not just about that, but about this show, not about the just about the original one, but about the the new the new series as well. Uh, you are you all bring that a hundred percent to the table, and I think the fans appreciate you as much as I do, if not more. Deborah Pratt, thank you so much for giving us some of your time while you're on this amazing adventure in Africa. We so appreciate it. Oh, thank you so mine much. Mine too. And um, anytime I do anything Quantum Leap, I'm here for you. You know that. So like on a mountaintop in Uganda, in a safari Jeep or something, you guys got to see that on the YouTube. Was that mind blowing or what? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> If I was in Uganda, I wouldn't even be thinking about interviews or anything. But she's like, she's just like a, a queen of all trades, you know, just doing everything. Well, you know what? <laughs> she is amazing. She is wonderful for being on with us, for taking the time on like yeah. a safari. Yeah, I'm really grateful she did that. You know, she's still carrying that quantum leap torch no matter where she is. So thank you very much, Deborah, for being back on the show. And you know what else is amazing, Allison? We have some feedback. Allison, you remember a certain man named John Irons? We never talk about sure him on do. this show. John Irons, <laughs> who's that? All-star John All Irons. All-star John Irons, who I met last weekend, I guess, uh, meeting with me and listening to our episode for Off the Cuff, he had some really deep involved thoughts and he sent them to me. So I figured, why not share them? I'll begin. Hey, guys, when you were discussing the letter Ben wrote to Hannah and said, Gideon whips out the letter. One of us said that. It got me thinking of how awesome that could be. What if Gideon is the son that Hannah had with Josh because he lived? Hannah gets the letter, shares everything about Ben, and it's this family secret thing where they all try to figure out leaping. But all the youngest son, Gideon, knows is that his mom spent the rest of her life trying to chase down a man who wasn't their father, and harbors a grudge against Ben and the project the whole time. Dun, 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 dun. dun, dun. <laughs> I'm assuming Allison knows the great 90s cartoon Gargoyles. Of course I do. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best things about the show was the main villain, Xanatos. <laughs> if I pronounce that wrong, it'd be like, you don't know the show. <laughs> I think it was Xanatos. Uh, played by Jonathan Frakes. He's one of the best antagonists in TV history because he wasn't necessarily evil or even bad. He was extremely self-interested, but not completely so, which meant under the right circumstances, he could align or betray anyone at any time. He has all the trappings of a textbook villain, but was so much more compelling than that. Gideon might be like Xanatos on Quantum Leap. I love that idea. You'd have to tell me if John's onto something there, but uh, John just concludes, disclaimer, I do not in any way expect this to be the case, but as Chris said, fanboys can fanboy. So, <laughs> always a fan, John, the real treasure is the family you made along the way, Irons. Family. Family. We're family. <laughs> We're family. We're family. We're family. 
yeah, uh, Gargoyles, I don't know how big you are into cartoons. I used to watch it as a kid, and I, I recently-ish uh, watched through all of it on Disney+. Plus. Uh, you might enjoy it because it has a ton of Star Trek people as voice actors. All right. All right. I mean, maybe. So, yeah, they had Jonathan Frakes as one of the, um, the main antagonists. You got, uh, I'm spacing on everyone's names now, uh, Deanna Troy. Uh, that's Mar- uh, Marina, Marina Sirtis. Sirtis. Yes. Yeah, Marina Sirtis. She's one of the main characters, also an antagonist. Uh, you got all sorts of great people. And it's a great dramatic cartoon, too. Uh, what I really liked about it as a kid was it was a kid's show, but it didn't talk down to kids. Like, it's got a lot of Shakespearean themes, a lot of very dark themes, especially for a kid's program. Uh, and it was just really interesting. So, yeah, I could see that. You know, it was good that the, the antagonists on that show were usually not completely black and white you understood where they were coming from and uh i don't know if it'll be like that with gideon i guess i get where he's coming from in this episode because you would be kind of pissed but he is kind of smuggy smug and definitely up to something nefarious yeah and i think that john's speculation still holds up because josh lived longer even though he died a year later in a car wreck he probably lived longer than he would have or the circumstances under which he lived before he died were changed, which could have made it so that he and Hannah had Gideon. Sure. But I mean, this stuff was going on before, like at the beginning of the season, though. So, But again, you, you think know. about if Ben had made those changes, they would always be I manifest suppose, in the future. But, I mean, but like, we've yeah, had a time trying yeah, to work but on I mean, this show. The way that know? this shows, oh, it seems like it works to me is that it doesn't change until it's changed, even though I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It seems very linear. I don't know. <laughs> time travel's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'll have to take your word on gargoyles. I feel like you know what I think is going to happen in the season finale is that um, I don't think Gideon's related to Hannah, but maybe something to do with Hannah or Jeffrey or anything that happens in that finale, it's changed so that it helps them in the future with whatever's going on with Gideon. Okay, I mean that could happen, and we may see something transform before our eyes. Yeah, like they save the day because they invent a new chip and they don't need it from Gideon or, you know, Jeffrey or Hannah show up in the future and they know exactly what they need to do to get him out of there or mm. something. Yeah. yeah, could be. Could be. I mean, I, I again, we're just thrumming with possibilities and they've set so many interesting players in motion here that anything we think of is at least plausible, which I like. The only thing that's probably not too plausible is me watching Gargoyles. John and I have been having this tug of war about animation that he loves, trying to get me to watch it, and (laughs) and me completely losing interest after about an episode. So I don't know if Gargoyles will be any different. Are Are you into cartoons at all? I love cartoons, but I like specific ones. Um, Venture Brothers is my jam. Like to me, that is the pinnacle. <laughs> I love Venture Brothers. Uh, I was a huge Rick and Morty fan, but I'm kind of dropping off that. It's really not as good as it was. There are other ones, but if I had to point to one and say, you should watch this above all cartoons, it's definitely the Venture Brothers. Okay. So it, it depends with cartoons for me as well. But I mean, like I'll watch a lot of things I'm nostalgic for and Gargoyles is one of those things. But sometimes there's newer things that I'll get into, but I definitely am am hesitant to get into more recent things just because styles change and cartoons are definitely a different kind of animal. Yeah, they are. And I'm not against animation. I mean, like Futurama. I liked The Simpsons for a long time. Um, Archer. Everything's on like FX now and I don't have basic cable anymore. So I, I don't really see the stuff that's on Adult Swim. I don't really see the stuff that's on FX. So 
my cartoon watching has suffered as a result because that's where you see a lot of that stuff. And it's, you know, it used to be a, like a real big night owl. So it would be on late at night and I would watch it then. I'm not even that anymore because I'm just, you know, asleep by latest 1 a.m. And it's usually because I'm editing, you know? So <laughs> you got to get the Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do they even have those anymore? <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea what's going on anymore. I just knew like that was the shit when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, of course. I, you know, I would be in school and then they wouldn't have things on in, in the evening. But Saturday mornings, that's when they had the big cartoon blocks. And that's where you'd watch all this stuff. No, that was that was Saturday. Yeah. Although I did watch a lot of Gargoyles after school. That would air quite a bit, probably on ABC. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, I used to watch that or the Spider-Man cartoon. Those were really cool. I like those kind of serialized action cartoons they had back then. Yeah, see, that's past my time. When I was a kid, it was just like uh, episodes of Bugs Bunny. Rocket Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Uh, it's bad. It's bad? Right. <laughs> I think it's like a 70s or 80s cartoon, maybe. Gotcha. No, like we were watching like McGilla Gorilla and uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost and, you know, after okay. school, yeah, after school, the Flintstones was on, that kind of stuff. It wasn't the serialized stuff that came in. The, I think the closest I came to that, and I was too old to be watching it, but I used to watch He-Man quite a bit after school. Hey, you're never too old to watch something if you're entertained by it. I was probably it, in college know? at that point. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, you can watch He-Man. Totally teasing. People still watch He-Man. <laughs> so interesting discussion. I would watch the hell out of a Quantum Leap cartoon. That'd be great. They almost had that one episode. And it would have been really interesting. To be honest, I think it probably would have been terrible. Oh my God, it would have been the worst. But in that great <laughs> early 90s way where they had like um, a cartoon adaptation of uh, Xena and Hercules, where for some reason they did it kind of Hanna-Barbera style and it doesn't fit either show. It's so incredibly terrible and ugly, but I love it because I'm like, what were they even doing? And I feel like that might have been what the Quantum Leap cartoon was <laughs> if they had ever made it. But they did say they had the Akira people, so it might have been animated a lot better than Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> I recall that um, there was an episode of Farscape that was partially a cartoon and they made it into like a Wiley e. Coyote Roadrunner kind of deal. And it was all in Crichton's head. Did you see that? That sounds cool. No, I've seen some Farscape though, and it was it, Farscape was really well written when it was good. So I feel like they could pull that off. They did, and it was just it was just to have fun. So because that show was always so freaking heavy, you know. Yeah, I love when shows experiment. Yeah, if they had done a cartoon Quantum Leap, I would have been like, I like that they experimented with it, even if it didn't turn out to be good. Because I love when shows play with their genre and do cool stuff like that. And, you know, hopefully if and when they get a season three for this show, they are able to experiment with that kind of stuff. I feel like a lot of shows, once you get running with what the show is, then you can play with what the show can become. Yeah. So now in that vein, which would you rather see first, the cartoon episode or the musical episode? Musical. Cartoon. Cartoon. <laughs> I know you don't like musicals that much. I love musicals. I don't know if this would be a musical show, but if they did one, I would love it. I mean, well, they got Mason, and Mason is continually Mason. doing productions. How would you do a musical episode unless they were just doing stuff at the project? And, like, maybe you saw Mason singing uh, at a club or something. I that wouldn't really be a musical, though. No, no, I don't know, quite frankly. And I know that I'm always downing musicals. I just downed Back to the Future the Musical last week on this very podcast. But every <laughs> time I've seen a musical episode, I go in grudgingly, and I wind up adoring it. So... There is a precedence for me to enjoy those. I just think that I've seen now quite a few musical episodes on everything that I've seen. Like even Scrubs had a musical episode. So I'd rather see a cartoon because it's just a little bit different. 
Yeah. I liked the idea of what they were going to do, making it a cartoon in the 90s, that I think would translate into this show in a way that still makes sense for Quantum Leap. Because uh, as I recall, it was supposed to be that Sam had leaped into uh, a cartoonist of some sort, and it was all in his head like imagining these cartoon things and that's something that they could do where it's like it's not necessarily supposed to be literally he jumps into a cartoon <laughs> you know like maybe it's just experimenting with what this character sees or how they see the world or just an interpretive way how to present the episode that isn't necessarily literal i just made a startling connection here how they were setting that up if you recall the beginning the leap in for a leap for lisa and then Sam wakes up right, and says, he was in a dream. Oh, I leapt into a dream. So yeah. that means that he could exist solely in somebody's headspace. Wow. That's- That'd be really cool. You're welcome, fandom. I would love for them to play with that more of that sort of thing. Because uh, in this show so far, I feel like the person that Ben has leaped into has felt less important than the people around him that that he's leaped in to help and it would be interesting to explore more of those themes of identity or how they see the world or how they experience things through ben's eyes and th that would be pretty cool to see something like that or something that was just a dream episode that would be kind of cool or uh i mean there's all sorts of things you can experiment with with this format because it's interesting that he's in another person's body or entangled with someone else or whatever it's supposed to be there's all sorts of things that you can do with that yeah, and I I feel like the show has been so focused on different character arcs that it hasn't had a chance yet to dabble in more esoteric things like that. Maybe a season three will give them the opportunity to yeah. do some of that crazier stuff. And we all have to remember that it's going to be in Ben's head, in somebody's head, but it's all happening in Tom's head. Did I do that? So. It's all... <laughs> <laughs> and it's all at St. Elsewhere. <laughs> there we go. So if you out there would like to tell us what you think about your favorite cartoons or whether or not you want a musical episode versus a cartoon episode, there are many ways that you can reach us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can get us at P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. You can reach us by phone at 707-847-6682. If you do call us there, sing us uh, the first number of the musical episode as you envision it in your head. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can hit us up on Instagram at quantumleappodcast or x slash Twitter at Quantum Leap Pod. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash the Quantum Leap Podcast. And you can always go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. Just remember, we may be using your feedback in future episodes of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of future episodes, Allison, tell us what's coming up next. We got two episodes, one night, <laughs> double feature. To see the season out, do you want uh, me to read one and you read the other? I, I don't even have them in front of me, so I don't know what they are. I'm, I'm waiting like everybody else who doesn't know to hear what these are about. Please do the honors. All right. First up, we've got Season 2, Episode 12, As the World Burns. Ben leaps into the body of a Baltimore firefighter in 1974 and is unexpectedly reunited with his time-crossed love, Hannah, and her son, Jeffrey. Trapped in a towering inferno, Ben must find a way to repair their troubled relationship and save their lives before it's too late. Hmm. And that's going to be followed up by Season 2, Episode 13, Season Finale, Against Time. Ben lands in a speeding stock car in 1976, 
but a threat from the future could sabotage the leap. And that's that. A threat from the that's future. That. Uh-oh. Lothos? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's going to be an action-packed finale two-parter. I can't wait to see Renee Coleman back as Aaliyah. It's going to be amazing. But <laughs> <laughs> If that happens, I will literally eat a hat. I will get a hat and I will eat it. <laughs> I'll settle for jello and onions. You don't need to do that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see. I think, you know, obviously we have been doing more contiguous leaps so that he's later and later in Hannah's timeline just by the, the log lines on this. But that means this story is going to build and I can't wait to see where they go with it. I'm glad they're bringing back Jeffrey as well. Smarty Pants Jeffrey. He was a little too smart yeah. for his own good. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> this is what, four years after the, the, the leap we saw Jeffrey in last? Yeah. 70, yeah. right? Yeah, it was yeah. 70. So he's going to be at least, what, 16? When he's in the burning building, and then who knows with the stock cars, what's going to go on with that. But he would be 13, because he was nine, I think. No, he was seven. He was seven because you were trying to figure out how it was nine, right. the timeline or whatever. <laughs> he was seven, so seven plus four is 11. I, okay, I confused myself. Yeah. So. And then the, the, the meme where the math like flies across <laughs> in front of our faces, like, huh? I was told there'd be no math. Uh, you know what? Matt would have, he would know exactly how old that Jeffrey oh was going to be. He would have all sorts of theories. He'd have it all written down. He'd have a, a, He'd have a like flow a chart. Info tree. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it would just be like, okay, well, I mean, it's going to be one of these. That's <laughs> already got yeah. it sussed, so. You know what I would love is if the season finale ends with him in the stock car and then it's like back to the future. He speeds up so fast, like the flames and then the car disappears. <laughs> That's the end of the season. <laughs> it would make no sense, but I would love it. Great Scott. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what Addison said. She's in the background. Great Scott. <laughs> Her hair blowing in the wind nonsensically. Right, they go back to the project. Where's Ben? We don't know, but wherever Ben is... He doesn't need roads. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and then Addison takes a giant loaf of bread out of her groceries and takes a bite out of it. <laughs> I can't wait for all of these and more to come to pass. And I can't wait to watch them with you, my friend Allison Pregler. Until that time, I have been Christopher D. Philippus. I've been Allison Pregler. And thank you once again to the cast and crew of Quantum Leap for dedicating this episode to our friend Matt. Thank you. We will see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. Ben alert, Ben alert. <laughs>